Church, good morning, good morning. Hey, I'm excited to be with you. Before we go any further, can we celebrate what just happened, that orchestra, that worship team? Incredible. I've never heard um, the song that we just sang, Via Della Rosa, but I'm going to add it to my Spotify playlist immediately. Uh, that is incredible. Well, if we haven't met before, my name is Bryce, and I serve here as our pastoral intern, which means I get to preach from time to time. And i got to be transparent with you from, from minute one here. I actually wasn't scheduled to preach today. I got notified at Tuesday around 7 p.m. this past week that I was going to be bringing the word, which I'm excited to do. I'm blessed to do anytime I get to do it. But I want to recognize Dr. Bill. And so Dr. Bill was supposed to be here bringing God's word. I love hearing him preach. There's a picture of Dr. Bill. And I was thinking about Dr. Bill, praying for Dr. Bill this week amidst just some minor health issues he was having. Definitely pray for him if you think about that this week. But I was thinking about him. I was praying for him this week. And it occurred to me for the very first time that I am three times the age of Dr. Bill Knight. But not only that, he somehow has three times as much hair as me. And I don't understand how he pulls it off. I was looking at this exact picture and that came to my mind. I cannot believe it. Now, I'm going to just go out on a limb and guess that that is all his natural hair. It's, it's been like that forever, but it blew my mind. And as you can tell, if you're sitting up close, my receding hairline is scooting back very quickly. And so I'm excited to be with you anyway today. And um, I'm, I'm always privileged to share the word of God. I believe that when the word of God is preached with sincerity, it never returns void. And uh, today we have that opportunity to receive it with open hands. If you know anything about me beyond uh, the preaching, you probably know that I'm just a naturally excited guy. I'm, I'm, I'm a very hyped guy. I'm, I tend to be a passionate guy about a lot of things. And I was very, very excited for a student event that we did just over a week ago. You may have seen some pictures from it. Our speaker last week, Carlos Whitaker, was our speaker for the weekend. We called it the best weekend ever. We had like 200 students come here to Mount Horeb, spaced across all the entire campus. Here's a picture of me in my signature pose right in front of a Moe's truck um, from the best weekend ever. But it was just a hype experience. It was an exciting experience, and I was thinking about it all week this week. I was thanking God for everything he, done, he, he, he did during that weekend. And what I realized were two things that I think God pointed out to me from that weekend that also apply to our time together today before we get rolling. And here's the first thing he, he pointed out. There is no sweeter place that we could possibly be than in Christ-like community. There's no better place than we could possibly be on the face of this earth than with people who believe in Jesus Christ. And today, whether you're here in person, whether you're here watching online, whether you would say, Bryce, I've, I've had a relationship with Jesus for a while, or maybe today you would say, Bryce, I, I know about this Jesus guy. I've tried to follow him maybe on, on many occasions, but I've just kind of given that up. The point is, we're all in Christ-like community. The second thing that God showed me was that when the word of God is preached with sincerity, with reverence to who God is, and with humility, God has something for his people that he can give them. The reality today is not the question, does God have something for me? I believe the better question is, will I, will we receive what he's got for us? You know, I was thinking this week a little bit about the best weekend ever. I was thinking about Pastor Bill and I was thinking a lot about this message that uh, God was going to allow me to preach today. And I was thinking back to all the preaching opportunities I've gotten in the past, whether that be at Mount Horeb, whether that be elsewhere as a guest speaker. I spoke at my um, C, uh, CIU, Columbia International University, the place I graduated recently. All those pre preaching engagements are great. But what I realized was there was an internal voice inside of me over the course of really since I've started this a couple of years ago that I think was trying to get me to pursue an ulterior motive behind all of those. And I think that the Holy Spirit pointed something out to me this week 
that he allowed me to accept with hopefully humility, and that was that I think I've been using some of these to try to build my own platform in ministry. And I think that there's been a small voice that's growing and growing and growing inside of me that has wanted that, has wanted the fame, has wanted to be known, has wanted to build my own platform. And I just want to say from my posture right here, my perspective, before we even get going, that God has been doing some great work inside of me. And he's really starting to show me that the greatest thing, actually the only thing that I could possibly call a foundation in my life to build off of is the word of God. That's it. And every time that I've stood up here before and I've prayed the prayer, God, I pray you'd get all the glory, I think there was a small part of me that wanted to keep some of it. But I'm here to tell you today that I've seen firsthand over the last few weeks, over some experiences God's given me that I didn't even ask for, that the only person worthy of our praise that we've already sung about this morning, the only person that's worthy of the honor that he's going to get when we receive the word of God is God alone. That's it. It's none of us. It's only Jesus Christ. And so with that, I want to pray for us before we get rolling. Father, we're thankful. We're thankful that you sent your son Jesus, as we've already sung about, to enter into Jerusalem nearing the end of his life as we're celebrating today on Palm Sunday, ultimately to get on a cross and to get up three days later as we'll commemorate next week. God, I'm thankful that even today, because of all of that, the Holy Spirit has been sent. And the Holy Spirit has been sent to dwell within believers. And because of that, I'm believing that here in this Christ-like community, whether we're in person or online, you're moving. You're speaking. You're pointing, things out, you're, you're pointing certain things out in our lives and our hearts that we've walked in here with that need to exit the scene. And I pray that you would continue to point those out over the next few moments. As we open your word, I'm believing that you've got something very unique and very special, very timely for every person in this room, including myself. And I pray that you'd get every bit of the glory. You'd receive all the honor as we praise you now. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the bumper video showed, we're in this series called Outside the Box. And today's actually the last week of this series. We've had a fantastic couple of weeks walking through the book of Acts. If you've got a Bible with you, I'd invite you to turn with me to chapter 9 of the book of Acts. That's where we're going to be camping out for a few moments. And today I want us to learn from a particular man who had an incredible experience with Jesus Christ personally. And when he experienced Jesus Christ personally, everything in his life shifted. And so Acts chapter 9, before we even jump into the text itself, I want to read a little bit about this guy. His name is Saul. And Saul was someone who was mentioned right after Stephen's stoning at the end of chapter 7. First verse of chapter 8 actually tells us that Saul was there. He was present. And the Bible says, before we get into the text, that Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. He was persecuting believers in Jesus Christ. Because Saul was so convinced that he was on the correct side when it came to his religious beliefs as a Jew. He was on the correct side. And Jesus and the church and the gospel message, they were all on the wrong side of his religion. And so he turned to persecution. He turned to harm and anger to try and destroy the church. But something God showed me even through this brief story of Saul in the book of Acts is that God often will choose the people that are farthest from him to be used in the greatest ways in the kingdom of God. And that's exactly what he did in Saul's life. And maybe many of us today feel like we were once living in a similar position. Maybe that's us right now. Like we might not be going around persecuting people as Saul did, trying to destroy churches. But nonetheless, the foundational principle is the same. We are far from where God is. We feel like we're drifting even further and further and further away. I believe that God's intention is to bring someone back today, bring someone home today. And it's when we're farthest from God often when God will show up 
And that's exactly where we pick up in chapter 9, starting in verse 1. You can follow along with me. I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. The words will be on the screen. Here's what the Bible says. Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down all around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Saul asked. And the voice replied, I'm Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and there you will be told what you must do. I cannot imagine how stunned Saul must have been in this moment. Because he had spent most of his life persecuting the Christian movement. He's wanted the Christian movement to suffer. But now God was trying to get a shift to take place in Saul's life. That now, instead of that, he would be willing to suffer for the Christian movement. And the change in his mindset, in his life in general, came when God gave him a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, the risen Lord of all. And many of us today are not going to have this kind of personal encounter where we're walking along the road and Jesus stands before us. We can touch him, we can feel him, we can see him with our own eyes. But nonetheless, I believe that regardless of how it happens, where it happens, when it happens, God's design is for every single person that he's created and he loves. That means you and I to have a personal one-on-one encounter with Jesus Christ at some point in their life. You see, my salvation story when I came to know Christ is a little bit different than a lot of the people I talked to that have told me how they came to know Christ. You see, a lot of us in this room may have that one day that we could remember when we said yes to Jesus. Maybe for some of you that day is going to be today. But nonetheless, we, we have that one day that we can say, this is when my life changed forever. This is when I came to know Christ. I prayed the sinner's prayer. And I remember doing that myself when I was a child. But nothing really changed. I was five or six at the time. I prayed that prayer in a church. But nothing changed. And I kept doing my own thing. And I remember that when I got to high school, early high school, I was stuck in the same sins over and over again. When I was in public, out in the open, I was doing all the right things, saying all the right things, but I wasn't doing them for the most righteous reasons. And then behind closed doors, it was a completely different story. I was essentially trying to live a double life, have my foot in both camps, if you will. I would come to Mount Horeb, junior, senior year especially, even before that, to our student ministry. And I would be doing all the right things. But internally, there was a different story going on. And so in my life, God's salvation story for me has been a process. And around junior year of high school, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. The first day of junior year, I met these three dudes who were in one of my classes. And I'd never met them before. I actually had a lot in common with them after I did hear about their stories and got to know them a little bit. We still stay in touch pretty often, even today. Because God used those three men around me to start to challenge me in my faith. They saw me reading my Bible. They saw me praying before I ate a meal. They saw me going to youth group here at Mount Horeb, but they knew that deep down inside there was a different narrative being written. And so they started to challenge me. They started to challenge me with questions about my faith that allowed the Holy Spirit to open my eyes to all that I was missing. And God was able to really get a hold of my life. And what he didn't do in that moment was he didn't make me sinless. Jesus Christ got on the cross to take away the penalty of our sins, but the reality, because we're broken human beings, we still struggle from time to time. We're still tempted 
in many ways, day to day. And so he didn't make me sinless. Rather, he pointed me in the best direction I could possibly take my life in. And I no longer had the reins. And I allowed God to free me from what I had been struggling with. You see, Jesus didn't stop me on the road to Damascus like he did for Saul. But nonetheless, I was able to see him so clearly. The Holy Spirit took the blinders off of my eyes. And I was able to see the risen Lord Jesus Christ was the only person worth following in my life. I was able to make this shift in my own life that we're going to talk about today. From religion to a personal relationship. If you need a title for today's message, I want to give you one from religion to relationship. I believe that's the shift that took place in Saul's life. Many of you know him as Paul, as we're going to get to in a few moments. There was a shift. There was a trajectory shift in Saul's life. And he went from his religion to relationship. Now, I wanted to find these two terms for you. The first term is religion. And religion is something I would define very simply, two words, following something. Following something. Many people in our world, many people in this room would claim we are a part of a religion, and that would be true. It's following something. In Saul's life, it was following the law of of Moses in the Old Testament. He tried to follow the law of Moses in the Old Testament as best he could. He was from a Jewish family, as we'll get to in a few moments, where that is what he felt his duty was. Not a bad thing in and of itself. And being a part of a religion, following something, seems to be something that is very attractive in our world. And I was trying to figure out why that is. Why is it so easy for us to say I'm a part of this religion, but maybe my lifestyle doesn't necessarily reflect that I'm a part of this religion because I'm not loving people as Christ calls me to love them? Why is that? And I think that the reason, one of the potential reasons that we're so willing to go towards religion rather than a relationship is because it takes our accountability, not out of the equation, but farther away. It allows our accountability to stay in the Old Testament rather than a personal relationship. Because I would define a personal relationship as knowing someone. Not following something, not just following something, but now knowing someone. You see, when Jesus rolled up to the scene in the New Testament, he showed us many things. One of the things he showed us was that our love on our own was failing. It comes and it goes. And many of the difficult things that we see in our world right now, when we watch the news, when we read things on social media, many of those difficult things, I believe, are present because we are trying to love people with a conditional type of love, which essentially means that we make two lists in our head. These are the people over here who I love. They're my family. They're my friends. They're the, co- the, the co-workers that I'm close with. But these people over here, I really hope I don't see them today. That's the kind of conditional love that, if we're honest, we're tempted to move towards. That's why Jesus came and he gave us certain teachings. He expanded our minds when it came to what those around him believed when he came. And he allowed us to understand that the love of God, the love that the Bible talks about so clearly on more than one occasion, is the love that only the Holy Spirit can give us. And once we receive it, I believe that as we'll see today through the life of Saul, we're able to share it. I believe that when we encounter Jesus, everything changes. And God wants to take us from a mindset of religion to now a mindset of a personal, intimate relationship. And I think that when it comes to this shift that God wants to do in our lives, there's two things we've got to let him do that will produce one overarching outcome. There's two things. The first one's this. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. God will direct our passion to a higher purpose. Now, we've already read this morning that Saul was at the forefront of much persecution toward those who believed in Christ. 
The Bible says that he went from house to house dragging those out that believed in Christ to throw them in prison. And statements just like these show us how passionate Saul was about his cause, which in this case was persecution. You see, Saul was born in the city of Tarsus into a family of native Jews. His father was a Pharisee. He even says in Scripture that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees later in the Bible. And that tells us that Pharisees are people who believed so heavily the law of Moses. They knew it front and they knew it back. And so when Jesus rolls up onto the scene in the New Testament, they hear his teaching sounding as if it contradicts theirs. And so they're frustrated with it and they turn to harm, they turn to frustration, and eventually they try to turn to death by putting him on a cross. They want him out. It's the same season Paul finds himself in even after Jesus had entered back into the kingdom of heaven. And because they believed everything they had was right, they showed us that they were passionate about their cause nonetheless. Saul was passionate about his cause, which was persecution. But notice what Jesus says when he encounters Saul. It would have been so easy for Jesus to say, Saul, I need you right now to stop persecuting people that believe in me. It would have been so easy. He totally could have done that. But instead he poses a question. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? He poses a question to challenge Saul with the truth, capital T. Because up until this point, Saul is persecuting those who believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And it's as if Jesus is saying to Saul in this moment, you have lived most of your recent life believing that I'm not who I said I was. I'm not the son of God. This teaching was false. It's all a lie and it'll soon fade away. But I'm here to tell you on a personal level that you can't deny that I'm Jesus Christ the risen Lord of all, and I am exactly who I said I was. And so what God is trying to do in Saul's life here is he's trying to not diminish his passion. Rather, he wants to redirect it. Jesus didn't want to diminish his passion. He saw he was a passionate guy. He wanted to redirect it. And there are so many examples in Scripture of Jesus meeting with people who are in seasons far from God, just like Saul was including the woman at the well in John chapter 4, where Jesus will meet with this person. He will share the life, the true abundant life that he came to offer them. And once they accept it, they will go tell as many people as they possibly can about the encounter they just had. That's what the woman does at the well. That's what Saul, turning into Paul, actually ends up doing. And it's because Jesus didn't take away their passion. He wanted to keep it, but he wanted to redirect it because he knew that he could use it for a higher purpose and chances are, many of us in this room, if we're honest right now, we are passionate about a lot of different things. For instance, maybe some of you are passionate about business. You've been incredible businessmen and women for your whole career. That's an awesome thing. But what if, over the course of your career, you've seen that you've placed business within a box? What I mean by that is maybe you've placed your business career in a box that says Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Or maybe it says only focusing on business transactions and networking that have to do with my company, rather than removing those passions, allowing God to remove those passions from the box that now allows God to use the exact same passion you had, but for a higher purpose. I've given you gifts to connect people, but I want to use those gifts to, to connect those same people to Christ. That's one example of many of the passions we could have, the, the giftings that God's given us. I was reading about another one this week. There's a story in 2018 around Christmas time 
of a group of eight women who gathered overseas in England at a church, and they distributed 365 knitted angels. I think we'll have a picture on the screen, 365 of these things all across England. You see, their passion was knitting. I personally don't know too much about knitting. haven't really done too much of it myself. But what I do know is that it was their passion. But their passion they allowed God to use for a higher purpose. Each on, on the back of each of these angels, there was a little tag. And on the tag, there was a small prayer. There was one scripture reference. And then there was a website link for them to learn more. You see, as people would pick these angels up that year around Christmas time, they would learn about the hope and the peace that Jesus Christ came to offer them as we celebrated Christmas. And that's one example of many, 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 many other examples of how God can take something he's already given you and use it in even greater ways than we sometimes allow him to. And I'm here to let you know this morning that if God has given you something that gets you up in the morning, it gets you excited, it gets you hyped up, maybe right now under your mask you're smiling so big that if people saw you without your mask they would think you're crazy because you're thinking about that thing in your life, chances are God wants to use that thing for his purposes. If I had to sum up this entire series, that would be a really good way to sum it up. That God is trying to get us to understand as a culture that if we want to see the change in our world that we pray for, it might just might require action. But the action it might require is not us doing it on our own. It's rather us saying, God, you've already gifted me in certain ways, and I'm deciding in this moment to allow you to redirect those passions, those giftings, so that they can be used for something even greater than they've been used for before. That was the first thing that God did in Saul's life. But then he made another shift in the process, and he redefined Saul's identity. After his passion was shifted to a higher purpose, God was able to redefine his identity. If you know anything about the story of Saul, you know that his name in Scripture was eventually changed from Saul with an S to Paul with a P. And for a long time, I was under the assumption that this change happened whenever he had the encounter with Jesus. And Jesus said, in that moment, now you're going to be called Paul. But after reading through it again, I didn't see that in there. And so I looked a little deeper, and actually what I saw was it happens in one verse. You'll actually miss it if you don't read it close enough. Acts 13, chapter, chapter 13, verse 9, when the Bible says, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then after chapter 13, verse 9, for the rest of Scripture, Saul is known as Paul. That was it. You see, Saul was born with these two names, both of them. Saul was his Jewish name, traditional name, because he was born to a Jewish family. And Paul was his Roman name. And many scholars believe that the reason this name change came in Scripture for the rest of Paul's ministry was because he was called to the Gentiles. Christ called him to go and reach those outside of the Jewish community, and so he threw off his Jewish name to then take up a Roman name outside the Jewish community. But I want to present this morning another possibility as to why Paul's name change was so significant. I was reading through this story this week, and I feel like something jumped out of the text at me. You see, the Bible talks about that anyone who's in Christ, anyone who accepts Christ is what's called a new creation, which means that the old them is gone, and all that remains is the new them. This is the same concept that Jesus talks about when he's speaking with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. He says, Nicodemus, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again, a new creation. 
The old them is gone. The new them is all that remains. God is in the business of giving people a new identity, and that includes us today if we'll only say yes to Jesus Christ. That's exactly what God did for Paul. He gave him a new identity. But here's the reality within our world, within the church sometimes as well. There are many people that we often convince ourselves are just too far from God. That if we're honest, we look at that person in our lives that we're probably thinking about right now and we would define them as too far gone if we're truly honest. Well, I know I've got sin in my life. I know I'm working on it with God. I'm trying to get rid of it. But that person, I don't even want to get into what they do. It's so much more than the sin in my life. We define them as a bigger sinner per se. And I believe that much of our world, much of the church is guilty of that, myself included, from time to time. There was this story in, in, in the late 1970s, actually, of a, a singer named Bob Dylan. Some of you may know him, love him. He released this album one time called Slow Train Coming. And within that album, Bob Dylan was able to declare that he was indeed a born-again Christian. Now, this shocked a lot of people. And while all this was taking place, many, many people that had followed him from the start of his career were defining this as an unexpected left turn in his life that would soon fade away, just like all the others. And there were some ups and downs. There was a bumpy road in Bob's life. But even in 2012, a lot more recently, he and his manager came out, both of them, and said that they were indeed born-again Christians, even amidst the struggles in their faith. There are many people that we like to define as too far gone. And I wonder how many people around Saul, because of the persecution that he had put forth, defined him as too far gone. They couldn't believe it when they heard that he had come to Christ. And there's this one passage that highlights this at the end of chapter 9, when Paul's beginning to preach to all the people around him about the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done in his life. Here's what he, the Bible says. After a while, some of the Jews plotted together to kill him. They were watching for him day and night at the city gate so they could murder him. But Saul was told about their plot. So during the night, some of the other believers lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the city wall. And when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers. But they were all afraid of him. And here's the key. They did not believe that he had truly become a believer. Church, here's the truth that I've experienced even in my own life. Very short life of mine, but I've experienced it nonetheless. When you come to know Jesus Christ and then things start to change in your life, there are going to be so many people who don't believe it's for real, who can't believe it. And the reason they can't believe that a change happened in your life is because they knew the old you. They knew about all your sins, the ones that you keep to yourself. They knew about them, though. They knew about all the struggles in your life, all the bumps in the road. They know about all the things behind closed doors because you're closest with them. And human beings often have a tough time believing that this kind of radical shift in a spiritual sense could actually have taken place. And I wonder how easy it would have been for Paul to listen to those voices, to say, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I do just need to go back to doing what I was doing. Because even though I had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, that was one voice. And it seems like there's 100,000 other voices around me that are telling me a very different story about who I need to be. But nonetheless, he kept going, even amidst the ridicule even amidst the rejection. And I believe that the key to him continuing his journey in ministry, the key to Paul, was that he believed the words of this way more than the words out here. He was so focused on the personal experience he had had 
that he would never forget it. He would never doubt it. He would allow that to keep him going every step of the way because Paul knew that Paul had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. It didn't really matter who else believed he did or not. And I wonder how many of us, if we're honest today, have been making excuses, myself included, for not going and doing what God's called us to do. And one of the many excuses we've made is that we don't truly feel like we're up to it because we know who we used to be. We know all about the sins we used to commit and the sins that we still struggle with on a day-to-day basis, the temptations that are all around us. And we feel like we have to present ourselves as perfect in order to do those things. That's what religion tells you. If you present yourself as perfect, if you follow all these things, that's when you'll please God. I believe that Jesus came to shift our mindsets. And he did that in Paul's life. And once he did it in Paul's life, here's what the outcome was. You ready for this? Paul was able to act out of overflow. After his passion was towards a higher purpose now, after he allowed God to redefine his identity, he was then able to act out of overflow. He started telling people about Jesus everywhere he went. He overcame the ridicule. He overcame the rejection that he faced along the way. Because Paul was able to look back and see the persecution, but even above and beyond the persecution, what he saw was the personal encounter. And he saw the personal encounter that he had with Jesus when he got knocked to his knees, knocked to his feet. And then he got back up again and he started living a brand new life because he had a brand new identity and a brand new foundation to build off of. And I believe that because of all those things, Paul was then able to act out of overflow of the love of Christ that he had for his Savior. The closer and closer that Paul got to Jesus Christ, the greater and greater the love was that he was able to show to the people around him. And I just wonder what our world would look like, even this upcoming week, if we as a church at Mount Horeb decided to put our conditional love aside and we decided to receive the Holy Spirit in such a way this week that we were able to act speak, think out of overflow. That the only thing that we would be focused on this week is how close can I get to Jesus? Because I'm so convinced that the closer I get to Jesus Christ, the more and more this world will want a piece of him. The more and more this world will see my proximity and want that proximity for themselves. If there's one way to sum up Paul's ministry, I think that's it. He was close in proximity And that's why he was able to bring others close in proximity to Jesus Christ. I believe that's the way God designed it. That's why it's so important to be in Christ-like community. That's why it's so important to stand on the word of God, the only truth, capital T, that this world could ever find. There was a shift in Paul's life from religion to relationship. And it happened when God entered his story. The truth today, church, is that every single person in this room, every single person watching online, we all have a story. Some of us would say, I know exactly when Jesus showed up into my story and I know he's here to stay. Others of us would probably say, I feel like I was close to Jesus at one point in my life, but now I'm just not anymore. And so I I feel like I'm far from God, but yes, I still have a story. Maybe there's even some of us who would say, I don't know Jesus personally. I want to know Jesus personally, but here's what I do know. He's not currently a part of my story. The point is, God has given us a story nonetheless. And because we have a story, I believe that today he's created space to write a new chapter in that story. 
for many of us in this story, this new chapter is going to be one with the same shift we've talked about today. That God, I know what I'm passionate about and I want to have it used for a higher purpose. I also want you to give me a new identity that maybe I once had, but I feel like I've lost and I need that back. And I want to act out of overflow. I want to love out of overflow for the love I have for you, Jesus. Maybe that's your chapter today. But I don't want to miss an opportunity as we close, as we close out this whole series, as we move towards Easter during Holy Week, to give somebody an opportunity to allow God to actually write one of your chapters, to write himself into the story. I want to be very clear. If you've missed everything else I've said, that's totally fine if you get this. There is no greater sense of fulfillment in my entire life. There's no greater sense of satisfaction in my entire life that I've ever felt that could even come close to comparing to what I feel knowing that my identity is found in Christ. There's absolutely nothing. If you were to sit down and have me tell you my testimony of how I came to Christ, I'd probably highlight for you the thousands, probably tens of thousands of times in my life I was chasing after temporary highs and temporary fulfillments. That's still a struggle because I'm human just like everybody else. But I believe that my identity has been redeemed to be only found in Christ. Many of us in this room can relate with that. And I want you to hear me so clearly as we close that as we move into a time of prayer in just a moment, I want to give you an invitation to accept Jesus personally. Because I would really hate it if anybody walked out of here not knowing where their identity was found or believing it was found in something that's temporary. You see, Jesus says these words in the Bible, heaven and earth are going to pass away, but my words are never, ever going to pass away. The word of God tells us exactly how to find fulfillment in our lives. And there's only one place it can be found. His name's Jesus. And even before we get to Easter and Resurrection Sunday, I want us to take a few moments and consider, do we actually have a personal encounter that we can reflect on with Jesus? Or is today that day for us? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to pray for us as we close. Father, I'm so thankful for the personal encounter that you've given me and many in this room and watching online right now with Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the ways that you showed up in our story when you did not have to, but you wanted to. And as we sang about just a few moments ago, you endured so much suffering on the way to the cross and on the cross in and of itself that we can't even begin to imagine all for a chance, just a chance, an opportunity to get your beloved children back. And so right now, if, if you're in this room, if you're watching online, and you would say, Bryce, I just, I just don't feel close to God. Maybe I was there once. Maybe this is the first time you've even considered coming close to God. Either way, I need Jesus Christ to enter my story. I need him to write my next chapter. I need him to be a part of my next chapter to stay. I want to pray this prayer with you, and I would ask that you would recite it in your mind to yourself. You can whisper it out, out, out loud if you'd like. It's very simple. Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. And I invite you to be my savior. Would you enter my story and take complete control? I pray that I would never be the same. In Jesus' name. 
Father, as we close in this time of worship, I pray for the people who just prayed that prayer that they would never be the same. They would understand that this is the day that you have allowed them to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, and I pray they'd never forget it. For those of us who have been walking with Christ for some time, I pray that the shift would have taken place, that maybe we viewed it as a religion. We've come to church every Sunday, every Wednesday, small group once a week. We've done all the right things and said all the right things. But today we've understood the importance of intimacy in a true personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray that would motivate us going forward. You would use our passions that you've given us for higher purposes. You'd redefine our identity even here and now. And you'd allow us as we exit this place to love, to act, and to speak out of overflow of the love that we have for you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done on the cross and out of the grave. And we're thankful that we get to worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.